Welcome to the 12th podcast in our sermon series. Finding Jesus on Ecclesiastes. I'm Dan Rambeck. I'm back with my daughter, Phoebe. I'm one of the elders at City on a Hill Church located in Wilson, Minnesota. Our service is live streamed every Sunday at 10 a.m. from our YouTube channel. Join us as Bruce Bentley continues our series with a sermon titled Certain Uncertainties. Good morning. Welcome to church. Church, we are back into the book of Ecclesiastes. If you're new, you're visiting this morning. Uh, It's this ancient book in the original or aka Old Testament. Uh, So it's somewhere kind of in the middle. If you open up in the middle, you're probably Isaiah or Jeremiah. Uh, So if you go to the left a little bit, you'll find Ecclesiastes. We're in chapter 9. If that doesn't work, there's always a table of contents. And if you don't have a Bible, let me just say, as I do every once in a while, that we have some in the back uh, that you can borrow or that you can take with you if you'd like, because we are all about reading God's Word and understanding it. We preach from it. We teach from it. uh, We study it through the week. We do a lot with it. So it's very important to us as a church. And you can always grab a copy in the back. This morning... Uh, Maybe you see on the back of your bulletin, it says certain uncertainties. So what we're going to start with this morning is, well, we're going to talk about some certainties and uncertainties that are part of our daily lives. Maybe you've heard of the certainty uh, that there are, well, there's two things for certain in life, and they are what? Death and taxes. The uncertain part is what? Which happens first this coming year, okay? Uh, winter is coming, that is a certainty. The uncertainty is how long it will last. I feel like we've been cheated this year, 2018, because we had blizzards through April, and then November, every day almost of November was below normal. I don't like that. Doesn't matter what I like. That's what is happening. Uh, Certainty. There are checkout lines. Every once in a while you hear of what? Is it Amazon trying to do away with checkout lines? You just walk in and shop and walk away and they still haven't worked out the bugs because people are walking away with too much. So it looks like still uh, shopping time. Maybe you've been out shopping recently or this past weekend. Checkout lines are a certainty. But the uncertainty is which one will break down after you choose it, right? Or who has a problem at the checkout which if you ever want to spend more time than you ever wanted to trying to get out of a grocery store or any shopping center, then go with me because I have a knack for choosing the line that is about to blow up, burst into flames, whatever it is. Uh, Car trouble, certainty. We've had car trouble recently. We drove to Iowa this past week to spend time with family for Thanksgiving back. I've never seen so many cars stop by the interst- or along the interstate uh, with their hazards on, with no snow or ice. I don't know what was going on. A lot of people had car trouble. So the uncertainty is, is when is it going to happen? Because guess what? It's going to happen, right? It's too late to go back to horses, and Elon Musk hasn't figured out everything else, whatever we're going to do in the future for travel. So we're going to have to stick with the cars and everything breaking down. Another certainty, epic sport fails. And especially in the second half of the season, you see it all the time. There's injuries, there's stuff that's going wrong, but 
uncertainty is just how many Minnesota teams will fail. But you know what? It wasn't the Gophers yesterday. If you're a Gopher fan, there's still hope, right? We're going to talk about hope this morning. And if you're an Iowa State fan, they're looking, they're going to lose, and they, they ended up winning. So who knew? Maybe that's part of the uncertainty, too. We have all sorts of things that, you know what, we think are certain in life, and then you find out, well, that wasn't so certain. I was kind of banking on that, and it didn't happen. And there are things that are uncertainties, but yet they kind of turn out to be more certain than what we had counted on uh, in, the, in, the, in the beginning of things. So chapter 9 takes us into reality, again, harsh, hardcore reality. The preacher uh, teaches uh, from these words, and they take us into this weird dynamic, this constant ebb and flow, ever-changing, things that we think are certainties, things that uh, we think kind of count on, and then there's these uncertainties, these things that uh, uh, we don't have any control on uh, or over, and yet they continue to happen and continue to cause us to wonder who's really in charge, who's really in control of what's going on. So let's begin chapter 9 and read verses 1 through 3 here, okay? But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, they go to the dead. So what we're starting with this morning is what the preacher is telling us that are certainties. So just a quick review, a little Bible study time here. The things that he's talking about, I want to emphasize as we begin this morning. We'll start with those things that are certainties. If there's anything that's certain, it's the fact that we are all open to the same fates. The preacher talks a lot about fates. So whether you like that word or what it means or not, doesn't matter, he uses it. And he's presenting to us over and over and over again uh, we've seen it many times already as we've been getting into this book. It's not a new idea. He's continuing to pound the same ideas into our brains, whether we like it or not. It doesn't matter uh, if you do all the right things in life. Uh, there's still a really good chance you're going to struggle uh, and fail, and then there is a certainty that you're going to die. And you know what? You can do all the wrong things in life. Sinful, evil, selfish, self-centered, self-serving things. You can do those things too, and you may have a really long and pleasant and happy life. You know, that's just the way it goes. He keeps screaming at us that that's the way life is under the sun in this world. The good and the sinner eventually, though, whether you've been a, had a good life, whether you think it's good or not, uh, or maybe you lived a really reckless or wicked life. 
everybody goes to the same place, he keeps telling us. Everybody dies. Uh, What's another certainty? Well, life in this world is messed up. Uh, He screams at us this morning from the the text uh, in verse 3. Let me uh, remind you what it says. This is an evil, the things he's describing. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun that the same event happens to us all. Now, that, the what I just read, English Standard Version, uh, it doesn't really have the same oomph, the same punch to it as the original language has. Uh, today's English Version puts it like this. This is as wrong as anything, as anything that happens in our world. What we see, good people, well, they don't get rewarded for their good and they end up dead. Wicked, evil people, they get away with it. They have pleasant, happy lives. Well, then they die too. But the fact that there is injustice and imbalance, at least, in what's going on, he says, this is as evil, as wrong as anything that happens in our world. So what the preacher is saying, that this is the ultimate injustice that we have to suffer right now. So at least we can agree with him, right? Yeah, (laughs) what you're describing, I don't like. I do everything right. I pay my taxes on time. I don't cheat the government. I try to, you know, to live fair and square with everybody around me to treat my family well, even though I don't like them. I try to do everything that's right, and then I still wind up in the deficit. Why is that? Injustice, he's saying. And yet the other guy seems to prosper, and he does everything wrong, and he still gets away with it. This is as wrong as anything that you could possibly imagine in this world. And then number three, our hearts, as he describes it, are filled with evil. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. So if you really think about it, the preacher is also saying, yeah, you may think you're good, but you're not. You're filled with just as much evil those who claim to be good as those who are obviously not good and getting away with whatever as much as they can. So there really isn't a good person because the children of man, us folks, we all have hearts that continue to churn out evil, wickedness. Now, Look at that, same fate for all, life in this world is messed up, our hearts are full of evil. Have any of you seen any Coen Brothers movies? Maybe you don't want to, <laughs> oh, I don't know if I want to admit that right now, I'm in church, right? <laughs> they made it big with Fargo, how many years ago? Like the mid-1990s? Um, and then it seems like right now, if you really want to be somebody uh, in Hollywood, you appear at some point in a Coen Brothers movie, and that pretty much describes most of their movies right there. And what happens and what takes place, there is, I mean, I'm not endorsing everything they do. There's, you know, there's a reason they're all rated R, a number of reasons, okay? But if you want to see a movie where the good guy dies in the middle of it and you don't know why, and then the plot takes some weird twist and it never resolves and there's nothing redeeming of it because you want to see something at the end like, here's why all the bad things happened and this is a good thing, right? They don't do movies like that. They needed more hugs when they were little kids. It should have started then. But they, it's like they read Ecclesiastes but only part of it. 
and then put it down and didn't look at the rest of the Bible either because there's nothing redeeming in those movies. But so much of what they do, yeah, that is true. It's not, there's no feel-good ending to most of life for a lot of people. Am I right? I mean, we sure wish there was, but a lot of times there isn't, and the preacher shoves this in front of our face over and over again that a whole lot of life is a lot like a Coen Brothers movie, like it or not. That's the gritty, hard reality of it. So uh, the certainties, let's move on from the certainties. And the preacher tells us about some uncertainties in life. So it's kind of a sandwich deal we're doing this morning. So we just saw the first part, and now we're jumping over what we looked at last week to the second part, uh, verses 11 and 12. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. The uncertainties that he describes. There is no sure thing. Uh-uh. If you're looking for it, you don't get it. The fastest runner doesn't always win. The strongest warrior sometimes loses. Wise people go hungry. Smart, qualified, capable people don't get their jobs that they want, or if they get it, they don't keep the jobs that they wish they could have. On and on the story goes. There is this vast level area of uncertainty of life that we all are in the midst of. And right in the middle of those verses, of uh, verses 11, 12, uh, he throws something in there. It's short, but we cannot afford to miss it. He says this in verse 11, but time and chance happen to them all. The two things that everybody, cross-cultural now, that, you know, even if your understanding of time is different, uh, it still affects us all. There's two things that bother and trouble us deeply, especially as we age. And it, it, especially when it comes to uncertainty, it is about time, okay, what time does to us, and about random chance. They, both of those things, have the effect of wearing us down. So we can't go over this part too quickly. What time does to us? Uh, if you're old like me, okay, uh, then uh, when you go home and you visit with family and friends uh, at Thanksgiving or Christmas or whenever you gather, uh, you realize that inadvertently or always somebody shows up and, oh, you got bigger. And, oh, you're, you've graduated. And, oh, uh, you're married now. What happened? <laughs> Time went by and I have no I have no grasp on what happened. And you look at that person, and then, and then it sinks in, the, the, double, the double freak out, okay? Not only are you older and bigger and you moved on to your life, that means I'm older and maybe bigger, and what have I done with my life, okay? Now, those of you who are younger, this makes no sense, okay? Because you haven't been there yet. You're not looking uh, down the tunnel and seeing that there might be not just, not a light, but like a, an end to it. <laughs> and, whoa, really? Yeah. Time sinks in, and you do begin to wonder, 
what have I done with my life? Where has my career taken me? Uh, what has been the point of all this? And all the struggle and, you know, trying to save up and trying to make sure my kids do something with their lives that are positive and on and on it goes. Wow, time as an effective. I wish I could have some of that back. Because where I'm going, I, I feel like, ah, oh, there's something I missed. There's something I wish I could go back and regain. Time happens to us. It does different things, but usually the combined you know, feeling is rather hard and, and sometimes kind of negative. And not just time, but he says chance or fate, depending on translation. What appears to be what appears to be random luck all the time or the absence of luck. Things happen that we are out of control of. So, uh, on our way back from Des Moines, uh, we had uh, Thanksgiving, we celebrated my dad's 101st birthday, and we're driving back to the farm, I'm taking him back, and uh, we cross the Des Moines River, it's this long bridge, it's all dark out, and there's this hill going up the other side of the river valley, and I'm talking to my kids, and we're looking at things out the window, whatever, and then suddenly, there's a car in front of me, and it's not moving. And we're on a two-lane highway out in the middle of nowhere in the darkness. And uh, whoever's driving has got their turn signal on. And I have one second to decide what I'm going to do. So fortunately, I came back to reality and swerved over and kept, you know, maintained control of the vehicle. And then got back onto the lane and nothing bad happened. Uh, our hearts are all beating at, you know, 300 beats a minute at that point. Uh, and then we recover and, you know, didn't do anything bad to my dad either, who was sitting next to me. And we go on. Was not expecting a car to be stopped in the highway at the top of that hill. Okay? So, you know, you have, you have those moments and, whoo, that was a close one, right? Sure glad I didn't hit it. Sure glad I didn't swerve too far, lose control, go in the ditch. All these bad things can happen. Seems random, right? Uh... Think maybe you've been in a situation like that, whether it's with a car or maybe another vehicle or, or seeing something happen, bam, you, know, you have no time to prepare for what in a moment can change everything, right? Your life, the life of your family and friends or complete strangers, those random things happen. And what do we do with them? How do we recover for them if we can? from them, if we can, uh, and where do they fit in to the bigger picture of life in this world, and is God or anybody in control of those things? It makes you stop and think, does it not? That's the life under the sun that the preacher is talking about. Time and chance. Things happen as time goes on, and then what do we do with them? Now, what about us today? How is this passage challenging us in this crazy mixed up thing of certain things and uncertainty that we have to deal with, okay? So let's explore that a little bit here. Whoop. All right, you're with me still, right? Okay, good. Number one, a couple different propositions, I think, that are coming out of this passage for us to chew on this morning. Sometimes you're certain when you really should be uncertain. Okay? Let that kind of sink in, 
right? And well, I'll develop what in the world that means. Sometimes you and I, we're real certain of things that we think are true, that are our reality, that are important, right? Real certain this is happening or this has to be, but we really ought to be probably a little more uncertain of those things that we are so certain about. Now, back to this picture. That is the what? It used to be the Sears Tower, right? And now it is the Willis Tower. Jesse gets to go and explore Chicago this coming week, so maybe you have a chance to go up at the tower and, and poke around and uh, whatever. So uh, Sears Tower, iconic tower right there in downtown Chicago in the Loop. Uh, it's been there for, I don't know, 40-some years now, one of the tallest buildings in the world. Uh, it is a reminder for all of those who look at it and still say Sears Tower of the company, you know, Sears, Right? And what they were, at least. Because I've heard somebody say that Sears was kind of like the Amazon of the early 20th century. They ruled. They dominated. Uh, along with a few other competitors, established the catalog, right? Uh, I remember growing up as a kid, the excitement you get uh, somewhere in October or November, you get the Sears catalog. And this huge section of Christmas things that I'll never get. But I drool over and you go through. Sears... Really, for a hundred some years, they changed the world. They changed how we shopped. They changed what we bought. Um, they even uh, Sears and how you interacted and how you bought things through Sears helped to level the playing field with racial inequality in our country. You ever thought about that? Anybody can order from Sears when you can't go down to the store and buy, at least for some people. So Sears had this huge effect that it's hard to measure, but as you know now, well, the Sears now isn't exactly what the Sears used to be. So let's consider that for a second here. Why Sears has failed or is failing at least because they're still around, but it doesn't look like for much longer. Uh, ran across a very interesting article in Fortune magazine, and this was from two years ago, and uh, they laid out three different reasons why Sears was failing. So let's look at these real quick. This all has a point, so stick with me here. Number one, in the article, they talk about denial. The people in Sears at the Sears headquarters, uh, headquarters downtown Chicago, uh, could not believe that what was happening to their company was actually happening. And here's why. Because what was happening in the 1970s, 1980s, going into the 1990s, that was different than anything else that they had um, faced for most of the history of the company. And because what they were facing was different, then they denied its existence in the first place. That sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? But that was the culture at the time, uh, late uh, late 20th century. They were denying that what was happening was actually happening. Number two, insularity. They tried to remove the threat of what was happening so no one has to deal with it. We just circle up our corporate wagons and do what we've always done and insulate ourselves from all the changes that are taking place around us. And if we do that well enough, we don't have to engage with the changes that are taking place. The article uh, interviewed a shareholder activist 
uh, by the name of Robert Monks. So this guy, back in 1991, started his campaign uh, to get on the board of directors, and he tried and tried, and eventually he was successful getting on the board, and he was finally granted an audience with a CEO at the time, his name was Ed Brennan, in Ed's 90th floor office in the Sears Tower. So by this point, he had tried for years to finally sit down with the CEO and say, look at what's happening to the company, right? So interesting uh, part in the article, they described kind of what he went through. Um, and the, the day of the appointment, so he gets in the elevator and some official person, not just anybody in the elevator, to go to the 90th floor, right? Not just anybody does that. So uh, uh, the, the special guy who is uh, functioning as the escort to bring... Um, uh, Robert Monks to the CEO. So they get in the elevator and he hits whatever button and uh, supposedly they had this conversation and the guy escorting Monks reportedly said this. He goes, you know, this is the first time that bad news has made it above the 78th floor as he's going to the 90th floor. That tells you, I mean, if he's the guy who is bringing people to the CEO to the top, he would know. This is the first time that bad news has gotten all the way to the desk of the big guy. That tells you something about the culture, about the mentality, does it not, of what Sears was doing at the end of their, of their reign. And one more thing, paralysis. We have more to lose than gain, so we choose to do nothing. If you have this huge organization like Sears, and if you would dare to make changes that you have to, to make in order to survive in a, in a different culture, in a different climate, in a different business climate, then guess what? S who gets to win in that change and who loses? Who gets to keep their job, their department, their area, and who gets cut in an effort to try to turn the boat around, right? So uh, in order to, to save your job, you're not going to make the changes necessary, most likely, because that's what? It's sticking your neck out. It's inviting risk in your own life, in your own family, in your own career. And who wants that? So keep things as they are. Don't move. Don't do anything. Denial, insularity, and paralysis. All those things happened at Sears. And just in the last couple of years, I read uh, Sears invested something like it was over $5 billion out of their cash reserves to try to change things, and guess what? It's looking like it's too late. You can throw billions now at, at the issues, and it's, gonna, it's not going to change the direction that they're headed in. So that can happen to a company. That can happen to any company, no, how, no matter how big or powerful or successful it has been historically, those things still set in. And they happen when people like you and me get overly confident and very certain about things that you really shouldn't be confident and certain about. It can happen with big companies. It can happen with individuals. It can happen with churches. We can operate like the past is the present, and the present will extend into the future unchanged. Because we prefer that. We prefer the comfort of having things the way they always are. And we'll just decide together to keep it the same. Things shouldn't change. 
You can do that. It's not going to get you very far. We can create an alternate reality. You've heard of circling the wagons, right? Uh, We can do that with our own lives, try to create a reality that really isn't reality, live in a different universe. Churches do that all the time. Even though the culture and things around us are changing and changing rapidly, we're not going to pay attention to that because that's scary and we don't like that. So let's just circle the wagons and do things the way we've always done them and we'll keep the bad change away. Well, maybe you can get away with that for a while, but certainly not indefinitely, not very far into the future. And we kind of tend to forget, especially when things are going really well and, and people are relatively happy, we tend to forget that life truly is, every day it's a step of faith. Now, we, we tend to use that idea, I'm going to take a step of faith, when things are hard or when they're challenging. Uh, when we have to step out, so to speak, into an area that is foreign to us. But you know what? Every day is foreign. Every day has uncertainty stamped and spread and written all over it for believers, for followers of Jesus Christ. Well, really for all of us. It comes down to what am I putting my trust into? And is it something that is certain? Or am I being foolish with what I think is certain And it really isn't. Sometimes you're certain when you should really be uncertain. And second proposition that I think is rising out of this passage, you can also be be far too, sorry about that, be far too uncertain when you ought to be certain. Certain not in your abilities or what you think will or should happen, but certain in the ways that God does things and the purpose and plan that God has. So a lot of us, all of us at some point, are challenged with the, the, the question, God, what are you up to? What are you doing? In the time and the place that I have right now, things feel very uncertain. Uh, I question you, God. Right, do, you, do you really have a handle on this? A lot of things like that can come up. But here's the deal. Scripture presents God as the God who is not wavering, uh, who is not wondering what to do next. In all the uncertainty that Ecclesiastes keeps pushing before us, there is also the certainty of God's character and God's purpose and God's plan. So God is never like us. We see a certain thing and understand a certain reality, but we can't project that on who God is God, in fact, is very different than us, and he does know what it is he's doing. He is certain. He is capable in his perfection and in his holiness and in his plan. So I ran across a quote that I think says this idea and explains this idea really well. For beyond cause and effect, there is God, or we could also say beyond certainty and uncertainty, there is God who will not allow the idolatry of the self ultimately to exist. The God of order therefore brings chaos to life so as to remind us that we are not, in fact, gods who can control the present or the future. Instead, we are mortals in need of repentance in dust and ashes. It's not random chance. It's not fate that what it is that we encounter 
day to day. God is at work in both of our uncertainties and what we think are certainties to what? This is the message of Ecclesiastes, and this is what Ian is pointing out, to ultimately destroy the idols. We don't have little wooden or or golden things. Most of us don't in our homes. Maybe there's cultures in your neighborhood that do, but most of us don't. The idols that spring up from our hearts is what he's talking about. The things that we keep creating, the things that we bow down to in ways that we give our time and our affection and our attention and our resources even to, the things that we set up and prop up that, that tend to control our lives. God wants us in this life under the sun to finally be humbled to the point that we begin to realize that those things can't don't, will never be the answer. They can't fill us. They're not certain. They lead us astray. They lead us into a wreck. God wants us to finally realize none of those things satisfy, and it's only him. It can only be him. That's the message and the direction this is taking us in. So, because God is who he is, We respond to his ways and ultimate purpose, not with despair, not with questioning God, and that's where Scripture is taking us this morning, Uh, not to ultimate despair and and lack of of trust or ability. Uh, where, Where do we find ourselves in this big mess of life? Where this passage takes us, and you have to look closely, not so you don't miss it, it takes us from despair into hope. Chapter 9, verse 4. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. And it's interesting. Uh, I think there's a dual meaning there. Yeah, certainly while you're alive, in the, in the, the preacher's sense, before you're dead where the, is where the passage goes, you still have a life to live physically. But I, I also think that as we look at it with more of a gospel lens, so to speak, Uh, with what we know now, looking back, and what Jesus has done, that in a new life in Jesus Christ, we can have hope in a whole different way that somehow, as God does and as he works, he places in the middle of certainty and uncertainty that keeps us looking back to him. Now remember, I hope is not the same as I wish. I wish is Disneyland stuff. I wish is, oh, you know, you, you throw the cards out and, and maybe I'll win. Uh, life in Christ is not I wish. What God presents through his word about who he is and our life in him uh, leads us back to I hope, which is vastly different. It's rock solid. It has a certainty to it that is found in relationship with Christ. As we're surrounded, as we live in this world filled with uncertainty, there is a reality that smashes all that down that begins in our hearts, a reality that it was created for us even, that says, I can hope. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, says that there are three things that endure forever. The greatest is love, but among those three is hope. So that kind of also challenges the way a lot of us think of hope, because we think of hope as wish. Uh, 
But no, hope is a certainty in my relationship with God that redefines who I am. And it lasts forever. Faith, hope, and love. So on here, just some quick shots here to get us thinking. Hope, we can have hope in righteousness. Meaning this, uh, Galatians 5.5, 5, and we're not going to take the time to read the passages. But write them down because they will push forward your understanding of what hope is in a life filled with uncertainty. Hope in Christ, because of hope in Christ, I can have righteousness in what only Christ alone can give. I can also have hope in my calling. And calling, not just to anything, but that passage brings our minds back to thinking about the richness that we have in a relationship with Christ. Our calling isn't to nothing. Our calling begins with new life in Christ. Our calling isn't just to get through this life and then eventually we've got heaven. Our calling begins by being recreated, renewed, rebuilt into a new creation in Christ. Heaven, in that sense, begins now because of hope. Hope then rewires us to begin thinking and living in a way that truly honors Christ. That's what hope does. And hope uh, results in love for all the saints. If you ever struggle <laughs> trying to love each other, Colossians chapter 1 is a good reminder that hope at work in us enables us uh, and, and produces in us a true love, a God-like love for other people. And hope results in a steadfastness in Jesus Christ. We can be grounded in him because of hope. Uh, again, amidst the uncertainty of all that life brings, we have this hope, as Scripture says, it does not disappoint. Now, if, if you're looking to a God to provide what it is you think you need, you have no hope in a very biblical sense, because and, and it will result in you uh, not being filled, not having a groundedness, not having a steadfastness. You will be disappointed in life. But Christ says, come to me and you will gain what you did not have and could not have before or without me. You cannot work around Christ, you see. In this life, if we are to find hope and certainty, it's got to be in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's where this passage leads us this morning. I would hope and pray this, that I have been all week, that as you hear his words this morning, that there's something rattling around that says, I thought I knew or I was in a direction or going in a direction that I felt certain about, but recently because of fill in the blank, it has evaded me or eluded me, that the hope that I, that I had or the, the, the life that I had or the things that I was depending on are, are drifting away. Return to Christ or find Christ and find the hope of salvation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we stop and we turn to you now and I pray that you would work a new thing in us. 
Lord, we realize that for our lives right now, we've got a choice. We've got an opportunity to either reject you or embrace you, to try to walk away and do things our own way, or to come before you and say, it can't be my way, that it can only be yours, and to call for your salvation. God, I, I know from my own life, from so many other examples, that it's only through you that we can find hope and forgiveness and new life. So Lord, if there are folks here or folks listening or watching that have struggled with that, I pray that you would do a new thing and open up our, our, our eyes to see you and to grasp onto you in a way that we haven't thus far, to know you and to trust in you and to find the hope that does not disappoint. Thank you, Lord, for making that possible right now, right here, that we could see you and trust in you. Thank you, Lord, for your love that sets us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you're looking for more of our sermon audio, check out our previous podcast, Tomb Runners. For upcoming events, check out our website at mycityonhill.org. Bruce Bentley will be back next week to continue the series, Finding Jesus in Ecclesiastes.